0: Well, hello, Calvary Cast listeners. This is your secondary host, Jess Miller, but I am introducing the podcast today, accompanied by my cohort here,
1: Cohort Graham
0: Parker. There
1: we go. That was that was pretty good.
0: Yeah, but well, it, it felt natural. Did it, it sound nice. natural? Did it sound I think like so? Okay, good.
1: Yeah, I guess the uh, the time will tell, but. Yeah, you know, it seemed like a like a natural thing to do. So, and yeah,
0: we decided to have me intro because you're going to be doing a lot of <clears> talking <throat> today, a lot of blah blah blah, <laughs> blah. You know, a lot of <laughs> yapping of your gums.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I we thought let's we'll spare the ears a little bit. Which, have you ever thought about like you listen to your own voice mm-hmm. and it always sounds weird? Yeah, it does. Like people have told me, I sound like Math McConaughey. Really? But I don't hear that.
0: Well, you got it. Let me hear it. Say, um, all right, all right, all right.
1: <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs>
0: I don't know. No, yeah, that, nobody's
1: told me I sound like Matthew McConaughey, but I'd like to sound like
0: Matthew oh, McConaughey. Oh, really? So okay. Saying, all right.
1: I think I sound nasally.
0: Yeah. Well.
1: Are you affirming that? that? No, hurts. I don't
0: think you sound nasally, but that's what you think you sound like. <laughs>
1: Yes. Yes. So no. listening to yourself is always a strange. Uh, it is endeavor. So you I,
0: shouldn't really like to listen to yourself. That would be weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nobody has a voice like mine. I just love I to love my voice. I love to listen. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> Although there might be some people out there that that do. They like listen. They <laughs> listen to their own music. Yeah. You know, that. Yeah. Well. I put myself to sleep and listen to my recording.
0: I yeah. know uh, a pastor once who said, he said, I know this will sound weird, or, well, he's a pastor, but also a professor, and he said, but I listen to my own sermons.
1: For, and, to, like, critique them?
0: Well, no, I think he listens to them for this purpose, and it made sense, like, he wants to hear himself say what he's telling others.
1: Hmm, okay.
0: Let me think about it. Mm-hmm. Like, because I've done that before. I've listened to my, a sermon or whatever mm-hmm. of myself, and then I have thought, man, i this would be really good if I put this into a practice now. Do you see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. in other you words, you preach you're, to yourself, literally. You're preaching to yourself so you're reminding yourself of what you're saying to others. Mm. But I d I don't make I make a habit of that, but yeah. I think he did is from the way he made it sound.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I don't know.
0: I don't either. What are you giving up for Lent? Or what did you give up for I Lent? I
1: gave up Lent for Lent.
0: Yep. Me too. We just had a question about that,
1: didn't we? So yes, we good, did. Good discussion. We gave up Lent for Lent. We're not big Lent people here. Did you yesterday? Did you celebrate the holiday? It was yesterday?
0: What was yesterday?
1: International Women's Day. Oh, of course. Did you celebrate the International Woman in your life?
0: Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, all day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit. It's a big holiday. Yeah. So I took
0: the day off. She worked, but I took the day off and. Uh, <laughs> celebrated her for her while yeah. she worked. Oh,
1: man, that's great. That's the one. <clears throat> that's the kind of guy I am. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to say any more on this because we get in trouble. This is episode 74, which uh, next time is our 75th episode.
0: That'll and be a big anniversary a big special. Big anniversary
1: special, but we need some ideas as to what we should do for our big anniversary special. If we should, otherwise we'll just probably do a normal podcast. But, and just uh, mention
0: that it's the 75th in the beginning.
1: There we go. Like we mention the number of the episode every podcast, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, if w- maybe we could pu- could we pull together all the data of, or
1: would we even want to do that of the people that have listened to it? Yeah. No, but speaking of data, people that have listened to it. Shout out to uh, whoever it is that's been listening to our podcast in Spain. Wow. Somebody in Spain has been blowing up the podcast chart for us. They listened to eighty six episodes. Are, are you just,
0: serious? We don't. We don't even we, <laughs> have
1: eighty-six episodes. <laughs> we do have eighty-six if you <laughs> count. <them>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we got eighty-six plays from Spain. Oh, I think wow. it's a spam bot, is what it is, because we you often get so? like okay. these spammers that are like they go and like the podcast and.
0: Well, I was just trying <clears throat> to cycle through anybody that we would know in Spain, and I don't even.
1: Well, know. if you're going to listen to eighty-six, which I think would be, we include the ones in there that we did for Easter and stuff. Okay, uh, but so that would be eighty six. But eighty six episodes in a week would be a terrible punishment. Yeah, so yeah, especially I, those for like the first one or two or three where the sound quality was so bad and right. all that stuff. So right,
0: do are those still up?
1: They're still up. Yeah,
0: because I. Well, we've talked about this before, but I worry people will listen to those and then they'll be like, I ain't gonna listen to this, yeah, this is, is ridiculous. Terrible But we fix the sound.
1: Right, but and I if think they most don't get people, like number You know. don't listen to podcasts in order, right? You go that's and find true. topics you wanna listen to that's and true. things like that. So. That's true.
0: And I've started new podcasts recently even that I don't even know what their first ones were. So I right. just I'm like scrolling go back the last few months. That's and,
1: yeah, that'd be a torturous thing for anybody uh, to do, so if you're listening to this podcast the first time, don't go back and listen to the first ones. Just find ones you want to listen to.
0: you know what would be good though is if we did like uh, we did a new podcast on the reason for this podcast, which makes us actually after seventy five podcasts like oh we could try say why to we're narrow doing. down what we're doing with this and what our objectives are again.
1: Oh, there's an idea
0: instead of that first one,
1: yeah, think about that maybe we should do that there you go.
0: All right, well, let me introduce today's topic because then you'll be doing a lot of uh, talking about because you're the one that's looked at this. As you're studying through the Old Testament, this year and last year, because last year you brought the youth through an Old Testament survey. Mm -hmm. This year you're bringing some of the adults through an Old Mm -hmm. Testament survey. Mm -hmm. And so you've been spending tons of time in the book. But you're also, it's not just a traditional Old Testament survey. Aren't you, you're including... Biblical theology. Right. I'm
1: calling it a biblical theological survey of the Old Testament.
0: Right. So, um, this week is an exciting topic. <laughs> it is on dendrology, see- <laughs> or otherwise known as xylology, which is, get this, the, stu- the science and study of woody plants. <laughs> trees, shrubs and lianas. I don't know what a liana is. Uh, Specifically their taxonomic classification. So, you were supposed listener, to read Listener, you read, you listen to this. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs>
1: Oh man I don't think I've laughed this hard in a podcast in a
0: while <laughs> Oh mess oh, <wowzers>. <clears throat> but on. I'm gonna let you that de- honestly yeah. this is out of this is, this is Isaiah's biblical theology of dendrology
1: <laughs> Dendrology Oh dendrology. Isaiah's biblical theology of dendrology and dendrology is and I just looked this up because I was looking for a like a catchy title and there's nothing more catchy than dendrology. But looking for uh, how, we're going to look at how Isaiah uses all the imagery of trees, plants, bush, not bush. Tree, plant, stump, root, shoot, vine, vineyard. We're going to look at that imagery, which he's full of, and uh, see what kind of story it tells us. (laughs) You're supposed to go, wow, that sounds just Oh, I'm sorry. Whoa, wait. Oh, yeah. No, this is great. Okay, good.
0: We're so, wrapping this up now. <laughs> thank you for uh, listening to the podcast. Okay, right, no, I'm right. kidding. So this, is gonna this is going to be good. Here's fun. here's, here's go.
1: the thing. Yep. So when we talk about uh, the, in the biblical theology approach to the scriptures, is basically you're looking at what is the whole story of the Bible and how do all the different parts of the Bible connect together to tell that story. And especially as we get into the prophets, I think this is where people always get lost. And a lot of times they get lost because of the imagery of it. So they think, like, why in the world does he keep talking about a tree? Why does he talk about a root? Why does he talk about a branch? That doesn't make any sense to me. There's no, like, it seems like application to us. Well, uh, this is imagery, and what it's doing is it's presenting real-world illustrations for abstract concepts. Right? So. So that's what the imagery of the Bible is. And there is just, again, it's chock full of it. But this one aspect that I want to look at is in related to trees and vines and rants, branches and things like that, hence dendrology. And it's a fun word to say.
0: That that is a fun word. Once you learn the right pronunciation.
1: All right. Cool. So here's my proposal. I'm just going to throw this out, and then we're going to kind of walk through these passages and see where we get. So my proposal is this, though, that Isaiah's usage of dendrological terms... So tree, vine, branch, root, stump, shoot, bow, vine, vineyard helps tell the story and gives us images to understand how the Lord views the nation of Israel, their sin, what the Lord will do to them in judgment and in restoration, okay? Um, and then beyond that, it helps us understand that the restoration of the nation will be brought about by an individual who is a descendant of David, who is also described with the same images. Wow. Cool. So okay. that's that's kind of where we're, we're trying to go with that. Does that make sense? That does make sense. All right. Um, now, the other thing that we're going to see is these images that Isaiah is using, right? They're going to picture at first the health of the nation or lack thereof, and then how they will be revived. And so we can think about that even if you think about what a, you know— a dead tree looks like versus a live one, what a drooping plant looks like versus a healthy one. Okay, so those are all things that are kind of contributing. So we're going to start with this. The first 10 chapters, the the dendrological imagery, if we can use that term, uh, seems to picture that there is a need for an arborist who's a tree surgeon, to come and cut out the rot of the sin. Say, chapters 1 through 10. So, like, you start in chapter 1, and you have a verse like this, where it's speaking about the nation of Israel. It says, For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water, and the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark. Both of them burn together with none to quench them. So, picture a a tree that's going to be caught on fire, right? It's dry, it's tender for a fire. So, really, the book is starting with judgment. The first several, first five chapters are essentially judgment also intermixed with a with salvation Um, but the lord is dealing with the sins of jerusalem and especially in this passage he's dealing with with the sins of that city and how the lord has turned his hand against them in judgment and he says that that has made them into like a dry oak tree where they're dead and this will be i think more significant as we get to chapter six and see the image that is there Um, then as you move forward You get to chapter 4, and in the middle of all these judgment passages, there is a a future passage of hope, right? So it's speaking about, uh, I'll read Isaiah 4, verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. So chapters 1 through 5 are predominantly words of judgment interspersed with hope so here this passage looks forward to this day that is of the branch of the Lord who's the branch of the Lord well in almost all usages of it in the prophetic writings it's speaking about uh the Messiah right he's the Jeremiah calls it I think it's in chapter 23 the righteous reign of the branch so this is a messianic title so the progress here I think that you're supposed to see in this image is that Israel is the dying oak but their hope is found in the branch of the Lord who is the Messiah. Okay, So there's this this progress that's moving forward. Then you get to chapter 5, and here the image that is used is again spoken of the nation, and they're described as the vineyard of the Lord. And I'm not going to read the whole passage, but you can go read verses 1 through 7. And basically the story or the image is that the Lord planted the nation of Israel like a vineyard, and he did everything that was needed for it to to thrive and to flourish and to produce grapes. But the problem was, was that it it didn't produce it. He said, you know, I planted it with choice vines, but what happened, I went to my vineyard and all it produced was wild grapes. It's not good for anything. You can't make good wine with wild grapes. So he says, what will I do with my vineyard? I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled. I will make it a waste, right? So this is what the Lord is, again, this image that the Lord is using of the nation of Israel they're a dying oak. They're a worthless vineyard that has to be trampled down and thrown out. So by the time you get to the end of chapter 5, you just see this is kind of the, these real-world images or illustrations are giving us an understanding or, a, or an, uh, helping us understand the spiritual state of the nation. That leads us to chapter, uh, well, to chapter uh, to chapter 6 and chapter 6 is of course like quite familiar to us because that is Isaiah's call and commission to the ministry of course where he sees the Lord high and lifted up the train of his robe filling the temple and then of course the Lord says who will who will go for me Isaiah says here I am send me and the Lord gives him a commission to carry out and at the end of chapter 6 verse 13 we have this verse it says and though a tenth remain in it it will be burned again Like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. Okay, so this passage I think is really crucial. I think it's one of the this one and what we'll see in chapter eleven are two of the most crucial dendrological passages in the book. And the reason is, is because what, what the Lord is telling Jeremiah to do is to prophesy until the land is laid waste, till the people are carried away in exile. And then this image of a tree that has been cut down and all that is left is a stump, is picturing basically the remnant of the nation, right? If you think it's an oak that's dried up, it's dead, what do we do? We got to cut it down. The only thing that's left is a stump. But there's hope in this because it says the holy seed is its stump. So it's like there's still life left in that stump and in those roots. I think about, uh, and I told this to our, to the adults the other night, if you've ever cut down an elm tree, they're like the worst, right? They're a weed. Uh, and they're always shooting, sending up these little shoots. Mm -hmm. So if you can picture that image, you can think about what he's talking about here in chapter six.
0: Yeah. I think it's neat how he, God gives us different ways to understand different things. And so, even in daily life, mm. we're supposed to see in nature, yeah, um, teachings. Yes, right. Yeah, I mean, he's doing that all through Isaiah, yep. and that they drawing these the people's attention to even in their daily lives, teaching about God and yeah. thinking about those things. Yeah, and they'll say they're about working in their own vineyard or yeah. taking down a tree or whatever.
1: Right. Uh, they would totally understand this right language and these concepts. All of a
0: sudden, these things come into their minds. Yeah very creative
1: it is so chapter 6 verse 13 gives us this hope that there's a this stump left but there's a seed of life rooted in that stump then we get to chapter 10 and chapter 11 and in these intervening chapters are talking about the threat of the Assyrians to uh, the nation of Judah and the fear that is in the heart of King Ahaz and some of those people but there's also in these passages those wonderful promises of a Davidic king Uh, whose reign will last forever, and we get to chapter 10, and here you have uh, a passage, um, well, if you start in verse 20 of chapter 10, Isaiah is talking about a remnant returning from exile, and what the Lord will do to return them, right? So he's going to, you know, if you understand the history of the nation of Israel, um, in 586 BC, the Jerusalem was destroyed, and all the captives of Judah or all the people of Judah were taken into captivity in Babylon, and they were there for 70 years. But there was a promise that after 70 years and their dealings, the Lord had dealt with them for their sin, he would bring them back to the land. So here is partially that that promise. But if you look at verse 33, it says, "'Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows "'with terrifying power. "'The great and height will be hewn down, "'and the, the lofty will be brought down. "'He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So I think it's interesting that he uses this image of a tree being cut down to help us understand what the Lord will do to other nations in order to restore them. So even as Israel looks at other nations, they're supposed to picture them as strong and healthy trees. And, you know, Israel often looked to other nations for deliverance. Well, the Lord's saying, well, here, I'm going to cut their tree down, right? And you may be a cut tree, but that gets to chapter 11, which is interesting because we hear this. Chapter 11, verse 1 There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So, just again, to take all of our imagery so far, Israel's a stump with a seed in it. The Lord's going to knock down all the trees of the other nations to whom Israel is looking. And then our attention is drawn back to the nation of Israel and that stump from chapter 6. And here we're told who's, who is the stump, and it's Jesse. Well, what's significant about Jesse? He's the father of David, right? And out of that stump now comes comes life. So this is like just overloaded with Messianic themes, right? You have uh, Jesse, Branch, right? We already talked about that in chapter four. That's a clearly a Davidic uh, Messianic title. And then this is picking up from what, what we saw in chapter six. And then we get to chapter 11, verse 10. And after being told in verse 1 about this shoot that comes from the stump, this branch that's going to bear fruit. Well, then we get to 11, verse 10. It says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall all the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So we know now that this shoot, this branch from the root of Jesse is a person, right? This is the, the promised Davidic king. So from the nearly dead oak of Israel life is found in the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots who will grow to be a king to whom all the nations will come mm-hmm. so people are supposed to find the hope of the nation in this coming messiah yeah this coming king
0: it was i <clears throat> do you think it was isaiah's intention to with these he's interspersing these mm-hmm. um ima- this imagery mm-hmm. here for this very, like, he's not. Yeah. It's not an an accent or whatever. He's just coming across. Oh, I know. I'll say this no. again or whatever. This is something that you're designed to trace I through. Think so. Yeah,
1: because of the way it's used and that it's built upon. I think he's absolutely wanting us to see it. Which I think the other interesting connection that I noticed last time going through Isaiah is the usage of that in the same thing we just saw in eleven ten that the uh, raising of a signal. You know, so before he says, I will raise a signal and it will draw the nations for judgment. And then now in chapter 11, with this introduction of this individual, he's going to raise a signal for salvation, right? That all the nations are coming to him. So he's using the exact same phraseology to describe something different and to show you, look, this is how a transformation has come about. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think like imagery is really important because they repeat these images and it helps you understand what's going on and how the transformation is going to come about. Yeah, it's good. So the next passage I want to jump to is chapter 27. And after, basically from chapter 13 till chapter 27, it's almost all judgment. And a lot of it's judgment on the other nations and things like that. But 27, 1, 2 is an interesting verse as we think about these uh, vine, branch, root passages. Because it says, In that day the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay slay the dragon that is in the sea. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. So what he's talking about is that that the Lord is going to deliver Israel, and then he speaks of them, and he goes on to talk about how Israel is a vineyard, but now they're a pleasant vineyard. Well, that's, I think, supposed to be contrasted in our minds with chapter five, where they were not a pleasant vineyard. They were, uh, you know, a vineyard that was good for nothing, and they had to be trampled down and left to waste, okay? Um, this this uh, song about the vineyard leads, uh, continues on, and it tells us the Lord is the keeper of the vineyard, right? So all of this is to say the Lord has transformed the nation through judgment, and then he saved them. Right, so this is this is uh, imagery describing describing that. Then you look at like twenty seven verse six. It says, "In the days to come, Jacob shall take root; Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit." So they're they're not only pleasant, but they're fruitful. They're filling the world as they were supposed to be. This was originally God's int God's intention for the nation of Israel. Well, after judgment, He restores them and makes them to be what uh, what they should be. Then you jump ahead to, like, chapter 37, and there's—I'm skipping over a lot of passages, but not uh, not every passage that uses root, vine, branch imagery like that applies in this way, right? It could be speaking about other things or describing the state of the nation at the time of judgment, things like that, but these are the passages, I think, that are specifically—we're meant to see kind of together in regards to the salvation the Lord will bring.s and who he brings it through, if that makes sense. Hmm. So in chapter 37, um, this passage is part of a promise that's made to King Hezekiah, and 37.31 says, and the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Um, I think the thing that's interesting is in this whole context, so it's starting really in chapter thirty. 36, uh, Hezekiah is afraid of the Assyrian nation, which again, and I'll just add this, if you don't know who the Assyrians are, think of Nineveh, right, because that's where the Assyrians were. They were the dominant world power at the time. And the Lord gives a sign that the Assyrians will be Destroyed and and part of that sign is found in this promise that the surviving remnant will not be restu- not be destroyed, but they will be brought into the land again. They will put down roots and flourish, right? And ultimately, the Lord does deliver Hezekiah and Judah. Hundred eighty-five thousand soldiers are killed by the angel of the Lord, in one fell swoop. But I think the the interesting connection here is again this promise that after exile, after judgment, they will be brought back into the land. The nation will put its roots down and it will it will flourish um The other thing that I think is interesting with this is because he says uh the the root the they shall take root downward and bear fruit upward okay I think that that's also connected to chapter six and chapter eleven, which you see that same uh out of the stump comes fruit where's it going it's bearing upward right I think you're meant to see all of this again that that the hope of the nation. The bearing of fruit is found in this uh, messianic deliverer, okay? Um, then, to, to build upon this even more, we jump ahead to chapter 53, which is probably the most familiar passage to Christians in the, the book of Isaiah uh, because of the promises, or the connections, and the, the same things we see Jesus suffering for, right? Isaiah prophesies of all of this. So, chapter 53, verse 2, Uh, It says, for he, so it's speaking about this Davidic, Messianic individual, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So I think the idea in this image is that this individual arises and his arrival is unlikely. You know, even uh, before it, at the end of chapter 52, it talks about, You know, uh, my servant shall act wisely, shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted, as many were astonished at you. So the idea is that just as the nations were astonished at, really, I think the arrival of the nation of Israel and their prominence and how the Lord worked through them, uh, it was an unlikely thing, so the same thing with this coming Messiah. And he's pictured here as a root, uh, a plant coming up out of dry ground. So if you picture, like, the desert... If you're just walking along on sand, it never rains there, and all of a sudden you see a, a young plant shooting up out of the ground, that would be a surprising thing because of the unlikeliness of that. So what I think that's the the image that we're supposed to see about this, this coming deliverer. And of course, then the rest of chapter 53 goes on to describe the sin-bearing work of the servant of the Lord. And all of this then culminates in really in chapter 60 and chapter 61, I think where we look forward to the full realization of the new creation, which the servant of the Lord brings in and in which the nation who is also known as the servant of the Lord will dwell. Right? So this is where we get to, you know, familiar passages where Isaiah is saying things like for behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. Right? And we we have these passages describing, this glorious time so chapter 60 is part of that you know we have language that's very similar to revelation 20 and 21 when it's saying things like the sun shall be no more your light by day nor nor for brightness shall the moon give you light but the lord will be your everlasting light and your god will be your glory so this is all you know glorious new creation things that will come about because of the work of the servant but then i find this interesting in chapter 16 verse 21 It says, your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. So I think in chapter 60, what what we're seeing here is that the nation is described as being a branch planted by the Lord in the new creation, right? They're flourishing. They're dwelling there forever. And then we get to chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. Where it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, why is that passage significant? Well, it's significant because Jesus said, what was it in Luke? Is it Luke 4? Where he stands up and reads this, opens the scroll of Isaiah, reads it in the synagogue and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, right? So, Jesus, the first part of these verses, he's saying he's the fulfillment of that promise, but I think what we're also supposed to see is that part of the work of this individual who is proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor is to bring about the transformation so that the people are called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And I think that th- that's fascinating because this is a full transformation from where we started, right? Mm-hmm. You start in chapter 1, you're mm-hmm. dried up oaks whose leaf has withered, you're for fire in chapter 60 after the servant of the Lord comes, proclaims the year of the Lord's favor now you're a oak of righteousness and a, something that the Lord has planted and so that's that's where kind of the story culminates and so I hope for folks as they hear all of this right they can see this progress using this imagery really to tell the story of the nation of Israel and how the Lord will uh, ultimately work with them and redeem them through the servant
0: yeah that's good so a um, couple things as I was just so here you think about that. Throughout all of that imagery that you gave, there was it's in the midst of uh, or the context of judgment. Mm-hmm. So, counsel, like the people are in trouble with God, right? And yet, what you find throughout it all is interspersed these um, dendrological, right? Dendrological yeah. pictures of hope. Yeah. Of one who will come and save and restore. Yep. And the reason that struck me is because this morning as I was preparing for uh Romans one, sixteen, seventeen, where Paul quotes Habakk- Habakkuk two. Yeah. And so I was kind of reading through, studying through Habakkuk this morning, just kind of getting the picture of that. And um it's uh Paul quotes uh chapter two, verse four, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Mm-hmm and or the righteous shall live by faith and um and then uh later on in um in this uh, passage he prays you know in or or verse 14 of chapter 2 he says for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory mm-hmm. of the lord as the water cover yes. season. and then chapter 3 verse 2 is in wrath remember mercy right. in other words uh in that that phrase too especially significant in wrath remember mercy what what we see in so much of this, these judgment passages of the prophets are um, are hints of gospel yes. goodness that God's yep. going to do, right? The mercy, the grace that you see interspersed, the, the promise of Jesus yeah. that is coming. And I think, too, that's a way to help read these the mm-hmm. prophets, because sometimes when you come to those in your daily Bible, yeah. reading, you're like, oh, <laughs> oh boy. what a slog. Yeah, yeah so, but... But if you if you use that time as like a an opportunity to like be searching for gospel promises, right. glimmers of hope and right. light in wading through all of the the wrath of God language, yes. realizing that He's also remembering mercy
1: and and the severity of the judgment described shows the the problem of sin, and then all the passages that speak about hope speaks to just the the grace of God right because he spends so, all all the majority of these prophets are are judgment and really bleak and dark, but isn't it amazing that after all of that there's hope right that's just right. pure grace yeah right? the the whole point is they deserve the judgment they they need that uh they've earned it but yet God is choosing to be gracious to remember his covenant his that's steadfast right.
0: love yeah that's good and then the other thing that stuck out to me was um, clearly in these dendrological passages um, it has to be God who does it. If you think about any aspect of growth of a tree, a plant, a weed, grass, Mm -hmm. whatever, we can plant seeds of different things. You can do that. But only God is the one who can bring about growth. And especially as Isaiah pictures it, you know, just like um, a dead Dead trees and, right. you know. <laughs> Where uh, there should
1: be no growth. There should be no yes. no
0: growth and only God can cause it. So I think there's that understanding then of the gospel that comes in, that this is all going to be a work of God. Yes. So in the end, as you go through and see all this and you see what God does and you see that transformation, as you were talking about, you're saying, okay, God is the only one who could have done this. Right. And I think that's significant because Jesus in John 15, of course, mm-hmm. talks about being the... The vine, right? Yes. And he says, um, "I am the vine; you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, uh, and I in him, he it is that bears yeah. much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." Yeah, that's the idea,
1: right? Well, and I was thinking, even when Paul is saying in uh, was it in First Corinthians one, you know, talking about one wa- one plants and other waters, but God gives the growth, right? right so exactly, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. In all of these instances, what causes growth? God does. Right. You know, and so I think that's what we're to see. Yeah.
0: I think that's one of the main, like, obviously, like, using that terminology that they use and using this idea of dendrological illustrations is clear to show this comes from God. Yeah. It's going to be God's work. Yeah. That's good.
1: Cool. Well, hopefully this has been helpful to people. And uh, maybe they can understand the prophets a little bit better. I would add one other thing just for, as you're reading the prophets and looking for this imagery, you do want to try and you got to look at the context to understand it, right? I think that's the problem. We often, we miss the context. So you got to figure out who it is that is being spoken of as the image, right? and um and then that will help you help you understand it better and then the other thing too you'll see the same imagery used through all the prophets they all use it just in different ways so but we hope it's helpful for you our podcast is designed hopefully to provoke you to thinking and uh, to encourage you in your walk with the Lord, we love to hear from our listeners. So you can send us an email at, at gmail.com. If you're part of our church, you can just come up and talk to us. You can call us or text us. That's a that's one of the benefits of being a Calvary Cast Plus subscriber. <laughs> if you live in Grand Junction, it's an that's additional right. benefit. But uh, we hope it's helpful for you. We love to hear from you. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of His people, and the Great Commission. So until next time.